Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. We hope The Ringer can provide you entertainment and companionship during this time. So as always, feel free to check out TheRinger.com, where we're still covering the latest in sports, pop culture, tech, and media. And The Ringer's YouTube channel can provide endless amounts of entertainment. You can find that at YouTube.com slash TheRinger. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does typically every Tuesday, but this week on a Wednesday is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Shredder, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Controversy, Kevin! <laughs> Verno, what's going on this Wednesday? I've been very thankful to so many of you that have been listening. Though the NBA season is not going on currently, um... I've been very happy with the amount of feedback that we've got from the listeners, and hopefully, uh, for your sake and for our sake, there's at least something that we can keep normal, which is going on. And I say that as we're doing it on Wednesday instead of Tuesday. But uh, hopefully, we will all get through this. There was some news that we will get to before we get to the rest of a mailbag. Um, Very sad. In fact, uh, right before I went to bed last night, I saw the Carl Anthony Towns video. And as if the NBA hadn't put coronavirus in full focus by attaching names uh, with something uh, almost first in terms of celebrity wise with the Rudy Gobert stuff and that night and when it all happens, you know, we continue to get these stories from people that everybody knows and Carl Anthony Towns took to Instagram for those of you that do not know and spent a good amount of time explaining the story of his mother who as currently is in a medically induced coma. Um, I would encourage everybody to go watch it, but Carl was trying to get across the seriousness of this to people and make this a real life story um, which is what he is going through. And so he talked about his mother and he talked about what she had gone through and feeling like she had turned a corner. And now we're to the point where she is fighting for her life and they, you know, they're, they're sitting there going, she's going to get through this, but certainly scary times. And so Carl Anthony Towns used the opportunity to tell his story and encourage people to take this very seriously if they're not already what did you think when you watched that? I, I It broke my heart. It broke my heart too, man. I mean, the amount of times that he he just kind of stopped himself almost from crying when he talked about, he the word he kept using was deteriorating, mm-hmm. you know, with his mom. And, you know, for me, like I'm sure many, many others, it's like my greatest fear is my mom catching this, you know? Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, it just, it, it's it's heartbreaking to, to see that because I, I know, you know, it's there's been stories in the past of how tight Carl Anthony Towns is, is with his mom. And um, you can tell it hurts him, man. And, you know, I the, the fact that he hasn't even been able to see her because she's in a coma right now, it's just, um, it's all very heartbreaking how this is happening to so many families across the world right now. Thoughts and prayers with uh, Carl and his family. Uh, but I do think that for, for those that, you know, I think there there's always a sentiment of if something isn't going to happen to you until it happens to you, right? And when people see somebody like an NBA star coming out and saying, hey, this is happening to me, at least for a moment, even if you don't think, oh, this, is, this, this isn't going to happen to me, you start to realize this absolutely could happen to you. It could happen to any of us, and it could be our family member instead of Carl Towns's. And so i i i thought it was I thought it was nice, you know. And I, and I praised you a lot for for doing what you did uh, over the course of the past year. But when when somehow people can turn what is a devastating time in their life into the opportunity to try to help other people, and that's exactly what. Towns was doing. He was yeah. he was taking this opportunity, which you know is just a dreadful time that you wouldn't wish upon anyone, and and giving them the opportunity, encouraging them. And with you, it was spend time with your family, make the most of the moments, whatever it may be. With Carl, it is hey, 
look, this isn't just something you're seeing on the news. This is affecting real people and real people like me. And so turning bad news into a good message, you know? Yeah, man. I, you, you mentioned about, you know, enjoying the moment. So that's, that that's the one thing that I hope comes from this. You know, if there's, if there's one good thing that comes, I hope people when we're back to walking around the streets and we're going to restaurants together and we're able to embrace and hug and high five and shake hands and not not worry about catching something or passing it on to anybody else i hope those little moments um there's a great new respect and love for for all that um because because right now it's weird i mean i was watching uh netflix last night i was watching ugly delicious dave chang show and it and like we've only been sort of in some sort of you know stay at home type of thing for two week, two or so weeks. And it was weird to me to see people out to eat together, to see people walking the street. And I was just thinking about that, like psychologically, the fact that it was weird to me to see that already, <laughs> that that change has happened. I can't imagine what it's going to be like when things are back to normal. And that first time you do shake a hand or you give your friend a hug, um, that's going to feel really good. And I, I, I guess that's the one thing I'm trying to really look forward to. And I would encourage others to look forward to, um, like if it feels like if it's, if it's difficult at home, I, I forget who it was, but I read yesterday a quote from some world leader and they said, and he said to their citizens, uh, you know, these next 21 days will be worth it. Cause if we don't do it, we'll set ourselves back 21 years. Um, that might be hyperbolic, but f- fact is, is that people will get set back unless the sacrifice is made now. Um, so it's important that we continue to do that. A couple other pieces of news that we do want to get to. Um, one, which is a very positive uh, bit of news, was Mark Cuban, who is honestly, I think, like the only voice we're like hearing <laughs> rather regularly. And this started the night that the NBA was going to postpone their season. Their game happened to be on ESPN that night, and he took the opportunity to talk uh, live on television then. And then he did a radio interview, uh, I believe it was, uh, a day or two ago, and he said, you know, this was this was actually the most optimistic I think we've heard. He said, you know, I think June 1 is kind of a target date, and I'm taking the under on that, and at least Mark Cuban, from the people he talked to, had the optimistic belief that maybe by mid-May there could be basketball games going on again, which I thought was incredibly promising. It is, and and yet you do see the news from Brian Windhorst this morning who reported that the Chinese Basketball Association um, pushed back uh, resuming basketball until May. And that would mean that they've had a, approximately a four-month hiatus, assuming that, that they do start in May. Um, so if you think about that in NBA terms, four months from Mar- early March would be sometime early to mid-July uh, by the time that they return. So if it's consistent with what happened in China, South Korea also tried to bring games back as well. Then they had to stop again. Um, so Mark Cuban's optimism is encouraging. And I'm sure the NBA, which is like a richer league, has more resources, can do more to make games happen. Um, it's it's a positive thing. However, uh, what's happened in China, what's happened in South Korea with them trying to bring games back only to push it back, um, that does sort of damper a bit of the hope of seeing those games being played when, when Mark Cuban thinks they could be. But if I'm not mistaken, they were not going to do it without fans. Yeah, That is the big difference. I think that most in within the NBA circles believe that the NBA would come back and they would do it without fans. Like that's how they that's how they would get back to going and and like because the TV deal, I mean you've heard Adam Silver say most of our fans it's not a in-person experience. It's on a tablet, it's on a TV, it's on a phone, it's on wherever it may be. And so the audience is still gotten, right, for this business venture um you know, the majority of the audience is still able to watch it if you're just able to broadcast it without actual fans in an arena. I can't imagine the same is true on the on the business side of the Chinese Basketball Association. I don't know, but you know, uh, I, I I'm pretty sure that like even in South Korea, they did plan on playing without fans in the crowd, and then mm. they just can't outright canceled the season. Right. And you know, we'll see. You know how things develop here compared to other countries. Um, but what has happened there with their sports leagues is at least worth keeping in mind with what could happen here uh, 
a month from now, two months from now, maybe three months from now. Few other things. Uh, what a incredible debacle for the 76ers yesterday <laughs> with the not going to pay oh, yeah. salaried employees. And then, I mean, have you ever seen anything like this where I, I, I mean, you, you would think, I mean, these look, typically these people are really smart people and the 76ers, you know, I know within NBA circles have, have been lauded in, in many cases as a place to work and really smart people in charge of things. And I, I don't, I don't know how this could have taken place yesterday. Um, but it did. And you have Josh Harris who ends up, for those that don't know, they were going to dock everybody's pay uh, 20% and then, and, and also make it voluntary in some quarters of the organization. Uh, like, so you voluntarily say, I don't want to get paid my full salary, but you would work, you would work <laughs> four days. I mean, you work, you work four days instead of five days and then they're going to dock the pay and you have their best player, Joel Embiid come out and say, I'll, I'll help pay for them, you know, whatever they're going to lose in this. And I mean, it's just a number one, it's not enough money that you're saving. Number two, now, like, I, I get that they're doing the right thing in the end, but how much trust is broken? I mean, if you work there, right? Like, I mean, I'm just saying this from any point of view. If, like, if you work someplace and you know the guy that that was what he wanted to do, he wanted to dock your pay during this. During what we're going through, um, and he's a billionaire. I, I don't know, man. It's just, it, it was obviously you would think. I, I know some owners. You just can't talk to them, you know, and they're going to do whatever they want to do. But how did somebody not get to this guy and say this is this is not going to go over? <laughs> this is not going to do well. Well, it's it's not going to be the the first team that tries to do it either. I mean, we just saw. Uh, the Boston Bruins owner owns TD Garden, uh, which is where the Celtics and Bruins play. And he just laid off all the ushers there. Um, and that that's that's an NHL owner doing that, not not the owner of the Celtics. But the fact is that that's another sports league that is laying off certain employees at the arena. We're going to maybe see the other teams do that with their own employees themselves. Um, but the fact is, is that because of the backlash the Sixers received, they're absolutely going to be a bit more hesitant in doing that. Um, so it was nice to see public pressure actually work in reversing the, the decision um, yesterday. I mean, it's a good thing that happened. Yeah. Um, other thing that we do want to get to is there are draft announcements still going on. Um, there have been several over the course of the last couple of days. I saw last night where Kenyon Martin's kid is going to be uh, heading to the NBA. But of the ones that have made the announcement, which ones have stood out to you the most? Devin Vassell is the guy that I'm looking at as somebody that I think people should be talking about more. I have him ranked as a top 10 prospect. He's a sophomore forward slash wing who is absolutely one of the best defenders that we're going to see enter the enter the league this coming season and one of the better most versatile defenders that we've seen in recent years you think about the impact Matisse Thibel has made on his rookie season with the Sixers Vassal I think could have a similar type of impact as him early in his career he reminds me a bit of like a Covington type or a Mikhail Bridges type coming into the league just with his versatility and intensity and length, nonstop hustle on defense, add to the that add to the fact that he also is a good spot up shooter. To me, he's one of those guys that's going to be an important part of a championship formula. One of those guys who just aids all the stars on the court. He's not a top end guy, but he's somebody who can help lift everybody else on the roster because of all the complimentary complimentary traits that he has. You know, when I started doing this, uh, I, I started reaching out about draft stuff. Lord knows I got time, right? Um, uh, I got the, the, the Florida State guys, um, which, of course, Vassal is one of them. Um, the other one, which is highly ranked, is Williams from uh, from Florida State. He's up there. But then they said, make sure I go watch uh, Trent Forrest, too, as a draftable guy who's not on a lot of lists, but I mean, look, they're, they're loaded at Florida state. Obviously got a bunch of guys there and, uh, it's interesting. I mean, it, 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 all I'm saying is when you watch, like somebody goes and looks up Devin Vassell, um, as you were just speaking to him, there's a couple others on that Florida state team that you're going to see in passing too, 
and not even in passing. I mean, the Williams kid, he's been ranked high all year. Um, but the other one, uh, Forrest, Trent Forrest, is one that people have brought up to me. Yeah, I mean, look, this draft, when people say it's weak, it's weak with top-end star talent at the top of the draft. There's no like bona fide superstar in the draft. But what it does have is, I think, a, a, a lot of good quality team players that can be found. Uh, so, you know, even somebody like Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State, he might not be a superstar, but I think he's a guy who, with his playmaking ability as a passer uh, and his improved scoring ability, he reminds me of like a Shea Gildas Alexander style prospect. Somebody who is a good prospect, maybe not going to become a superstar, but there's a chance he becomes one of the better guys in your team. And and Gildas Alexander has thus far really exceeded early, early expectations, and maybe someone like Halliburton could do that too, especially because he has the baseline as such a smart, high IQ player um, who's improved on offense score. The, the playmaking ability is always going to give him something to have to have a long career. Uh, it's just a matter of what level he reaches beyond that. But there's guys like that that you look at. Like I mentioned, Vassal, Halliburton, uh, Kara Lewis with his speed. Uh, there's a handful of guys that in this year's class, you're like, yeah, I'd be happy to have him on my team. Just there's no clear number one guy. Not even a clear number two or three guy. There's just a bunch of like guys you'd be happy taking seven to 20. That's what there is. And and in that sense, it makes this this year's draft class fun to me because uh, it's it's about finding the best of that group and, that Halliburton and targeting him. Halliburton kid has always intrigued me uh, because that uh, the, the guys that are coaching him is the staff from Murray state that found John Morant, uh, James Kane, who's the guy that found uh, John Morant in an auxiliary gym. That's uh, that's the staff that's at, at Iowa state now. Right. So all, all I'm saying is like, they, Hey, there has been talent that, you hadn't necessarily heard of before that they've had a good eye for talent in the past. How about that? How about that? Right. And that kid, and that kid shot up out of, he, and he shot up out of nowhere. You know, nobody was talking about Halliburton last year. Well, and Halliburton is also like a coach's dream too. I mean, he's just so freaking smart. I mean, on both ends of the court, like he typically always makes the right rotations on offense. He makes the right decisions and he puts his teammates into better positions by attacking and passing at the right moment. He's a technician already, even just in college. And so for an NBA team looking at him, you might not see him becoming like a top 10, top 15 guy in the league, but you can easily see a scenario where he's like the 25th best guy or the 30th best guy. And maybe even a bit better than that because of just his overall smarts and IQ and hustle and all the intangibles he brings to the court. Uh, that's to me that that's the type of guy that I'd be excited to draft this year if I'm a Nino playmaker. Yeah, it, it, he's just always fascinating because he's a three-star guy, right, from Wisconsin. So he wasn't like, you know, this top 10 recruit, five-star recruit. And he played two years there. Exactly like Morant did. Like there there are some real similarities, especially if that group has a couple of guys. Uh he did not have nearly the freshman year that Morant did. Um but I mean the numbers are good and I mean he's gonna he's gonna leave Iowa State shooting forty three percent from three. You know everybody in the NBA loves that. <laughs> sure. And he's a, he's improved as a shooter too. You know, yeah. last year you look at the way he shot off the dribble, it was nothing like what he's become this year. He's still not a guy that you're gonna feed the ball at the end of the clock necessarily, but he's gotten better. And that's the type of progress you'd like to see year to year, month to month in young players when projecting forward. So you look at the free throw percentage, you look at the three point percentage, which is largely in spot up situations. You look at his touch on floaters and layups. These are all positive indicators for him long term as a shooter, very much like the guy I mentioned earlier, Gildas Alexander, who had a high free throw percentage, had a high three point percentage, had good touch. And we've seen him improve as a shooter off the dribble in short time in his NBA career. Halliburton, perhaps with his proven high work ethic, his proven high IQ, his his proven rate of improvement from year to year at Iowa State, it's a positive indicator for him moving forward that he's going to continue to improve as a shooter off the dribble and maybe exceed expectations of what you imagine him as today, which is really just like a, a high-end, important core player, but not yet a star. But maybe there is a chance he can crack that threshold with improvement off the dribble. 
All right. And and I will say this, the Kenny Martin Jr. kid that I uh that I mentioned earlier, his dad was the first pick 20 years ago uh in the 2000 NBA draft. Um he got his dad tops, I'll tell you that. The video I watched, <laughs> I was like, "Good grief." He got uh he got dad tops. This kid can fly for sure. Um but an- an- another one of these kids that we didn't see play college basketball, right? And we got we're loaded with those this year. From Wiseman to RJ Hampton to the ball kid to now Kenny Martin's kid. Blows my mind how many kids and siblings of you know former or current NBA players are entering the league. Lamelo is <laughs> interesting. Lamelo is one of the most fascinating prospects in the draft. You talk to one person, they hate him. Talk to another person, they love him. Um, we're going to have a lot of time to talk drafts yep. over the coming weeks and months. I'm excited, excited that for that with you, Chris. For sure. All right, Bobby Wagner. We uh we started on a mailbag in our last episode. Give us some other good questions that we got uh from people that sent them in, which I thought were extremely good, extremely good questions yeah, that we got. They they really have been good. I mean, I think Friday show we might do some type of game or segment or something like that, but we gotta get to more of these questions. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. First question comes from JC. He says that uh Given that analytics has dictated that the most efficient style of play for the NBA is predominantly three-pointers and high-percentage twos, will this be the style of play in the NBA forever? If not, what slash when is the next NBA style of play revolution? So second half a little harder than the first half, but... Well, my follow-up to that would be, well, when, when are rules going to change? Because rules are typically what dictate changes in style of play. So when is the NBA going to bring back hand checking or when is the NBA going to change the three second violation? Are these changes going to be made to influence the way in which teams are playing? Uh, If not, we're only going to continue on this trajectory that we've been on for this past decade. More and more teams are going to shoot more and more threes every single year and they're going to look for those highly you know analytic analytics happy shots. That's not going to change anytime soon. However, I do think in the, in the NBA today, even though it's predominantly three pointers, you know, uh, as JC mentioned, what we do see today though, is we do see a wide variety and styles of how teams get those shots, whether it's high pick and roll offense, like the Rockets or whether it's putting your offense through a big man, like the Denver nuggets with Jokic or whether it's teams that play typical motion side to side ball moving offense. It's like we see with the Celtics or we see with the Warriors. There's a lot of variety on offense as there's on defense with the types of defenses teams play with some teams switching a lot. Some teams, you know, having their big man, you know, sit in the paint like our guy, Brooke Lopez from the Milwaukee Bucks. So some teams are a bit more aggressive with some traps and hedges. So there's a lot of variety in the way teams play. And that's why I really love to watch team. I love to watch the NBA today, um, but in terms of the results of what shots teams are taking, I think that's largely going to have to be rules-based. I think rules-based, um, whether or not you move back the line or you do change rules that enable you to uh, it, it, that discourage uh, the amount of threes that are shot. The other thing will always... There the two things. Uh, copycat league. And so somebody not shooting a very high volume and being the best team (laughs) would be one of those, right? The best teams have typically been teams that have shot uh, uh, an inordinate amount of threes. And so if you have a team that doesn't win like that, I'll tell you this, like what what if the Sixers won? Then that's not a three happy team. Like, you know, and, and, and the other thing is like transcendent players can cause you to if there's a team that comes along that is not a three happy team that could punish you for playing a lot of small guys, then that can change things too. Like I've wondered this before, like, and obviously it doesn't appear that the guy is on the horizon, but you know, the where, what if Shaq's playing right now? Zion. <laughs> I mean, it's the closest thing we got. Giannis, another one as well. I mean, well, I mean, look, a lot of our best players are not, the three, you know, we went through the Curry span, and obviously Curry and Harden and and some of the perimeter guys. But I mean, yeah, Zion's not a big three point guy. LeBron's not a big three point guy. Uh, Giannis isn't a big three point guy. I mean, there are a lot of the best players that are not three point shooters right now, you know. And so, who wins? 
typically who wins dictates what happens. And so teams that have shot a, a, a amount of threes have won. And, you know, I mean, I think there was a portion in time right there. I mean, I've seen a lot of crappy basketball this year because the teams shouldn't be doing it, in my opinion. Right? I, I, I watched the Atlanta Hawks one night shoot 13 for 49. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Like, stop. Stop. Well, what do you, well, what do you recommend? Do you, sh- do you recommend they shoot more long twos? No. You, you, you know, those aren't the only two options, by the way. I know. You can go to the basket. <laughs> you can. You can go to the basket. You, you, you can try. <laughs> you, I mean, come on. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm serious. <laughs> you can try. Look, there's a lot of teams that don't have the Splash Brothers that play that try to play like the Splash Brothers. And if you don't have the personnel to do it, it's awful. That's what I'm saying. Do what fits your personnel. If you don't have the personnel to be taking 49 threes, then do what your personnel is built to do. But what we have now is teams that don't have the good three-point shooters, but are still taking a million threes because that's what the analytics say to do. And they suck, and it's terrible to watch. The teams that have the Splash Brothers and the and the good three-point shooting teams, look, do, do you think Russell Westbrook needs to shoot more threes? What happened was he, he started leading the league in points in the paint. Yes, but why is he leading the points in the paint? Because he's playing on the team that does lead the league in frequency of three-point shot attempts. And that is by far last in mid range. That's but why. About, because, but I'm talking about individual players. Yeah, I, you're can right. I play know. To their I, strengths. I, I agree. But like, it's still about the team, though. And that's why he's able to shoot at a career high frequency at the rim is because of the system that he's in. The spacing that that's provided by four other guys being behind the arc is what allows him to get to the rim. Well, keep in mind they've been a disappointment up until when they come back. 40 and 24, but whatever. What? I mean, Houston is still like two games back from being the three seed. It's not like they're. So what seed are they? They're the six seed right now. Okay. They're 40 and and 24. Okay. I I repeat, that's disappointing. What? What? Where did you have them? Where did you have them? You had them six? They they have a, a. they have a top 10 net rating this year. They're top 10 in offense and defense. I mean, I, I don't I don't know where the disappointment is. Like maybe oh, okay. there's I guess I didn't think they'd have the same record as Oklahoma City. You did. I mean, what are we talking about here? We're gonna act like Houston being the sixth seed is not a disappointing. Let's, <laughs> I don't... Let's, let's move let's move on to the next question, Bobby. What what planet am I on? <laughs> oh God. Uh, this next question actually it follows up from uh, from what you guys were talking about with the rule changes. Cal asks, "What's one rule change in the league that you think needs to happen, and one that you want to happen that's unlikely?" All right, you want to start with this, or uh, do you want me to? I'm, so, I'm, I'm still thinking about Houston. <laughs> um, hey, text Daryl. He's disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> You're the only one not disappointed in your <laughs> beloved Rockets. Hell, the city of Houston's disappointed. Oh, okay. Um. <laughs> by the way, I need to lighten up on that. What a friggin' year, by the way. I was just thinking about this the other day. They've had the friggin' cheating-ass Astros. They traded away DeAndre Hopkins, and they all can't stand Bill O'Brien. And then the the Rockets are in sixth, and they've had to come to terms with cheering for Westbrook, who they always hated. Tough, Tough go. Tough going, Houston. Um, rule change. I time limit on replay. There, there you go. I don't know if it'll happen. One minute. How many times do we watch a game and we sit there and go, God, I could have told you that. I mean, why did this take a half an hour? It takes forever. I don't mind replay, but it takes forever. They need to put a clock on replay. One minute. There. There's yeah. one that there's one that is an easy fix, bro. If you can't figure that shit out in a minute, then, then we need. There's fifty thousand eyeballs. You know they they show back in Secaucus. There's fifty people sitting in that room, like we're trying to figure out whose fingernail it went off. Let's we we can do this in a minute. I don't mind replay. It takes too long. There's my rule. 
I'm with you on that. Better yes. replay. Better replay is a big one. Um, I think I think if three point percentage league wide gets to a point that even fans who love basketball are like, come on, let's this is a bit much. I think at that point the NBA is going to have to do something to curtail the rise of the three pointers every year. Whether that's extending the line, whether that's you know hand checking, what whatever it may be. I think at some point that day will come, which was sort of like the general thesis of Kirk Goldsberry's book, Sprawl Ball, and what he talked about at Sloan last year, what you know, others like Seth Partnow have written about in the past before he worked for the Bucks. Um, a lot of analytics guys have talked about like what the NBA should be thinking about moving forward to make the game as beautiful as possible, to make it as appealing as possible to as many people. And that's something that I, I always think about with three pointers right now. I think the, the game's in a really good spot. Um, but I do wonder if at some point it gets to the point that every team is taking like over 40% of their shots from three, and then it might feel a bit more stale. Hey, you know what? I was thinking about this the other day. If, now, this would, I don't think it would abolish it completely, but what if they, you know how like a, a three-point line is an arc, right? And I know people have talked about like moving it back, but you can't really move it back on the side. There's not much, certainly on those corners, there is not much space. You see guys stepping out of bounds on accident all the time down there. But what if it didn't even extend all the way down into the corners? What if that shot was just way up top, right? And it extended, it was like a, you know, a, a half of a curve. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Where, yeah, and and then the rest of the and then the rest of the court was just two point shots and opened up. Like you would still have it'd still be the same court, but you only have the three point line like almost up top, and that's like your spacing. It would certainly. I mean, God, you'd go from forty a game taken to maybe fifteen. The NBA would never do it, but I'd also love to see, you know, in some sort of whack basketball league, teams can draw their own th- own three point line, <laughs> or, or, or have a couple of, or have a or have a couple of three point lines to choose from, because that would make every home court different, sort of like every ballpark is different in baseball, and I think that would give every every team their own distinct unique type of vibe when you go into that building you might have to adjust like one arena might not have might not have a corner three (laughs) yeah you know i I don't know i mean like it might end up being silly because basketball is a far different sport than baseball of course which is you know obviously a pitcher and and hitter um but basketball is like constantly changing with 10 players on the court at once so it's totally different however i don't know i'd be interested in seeing that in some type of basketball league out there just to see what it's like fair enough yeah the 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 one that first came to my mind and i'll stick with that is that replay thing i can't i i I continually get frustrated in arenas and on tv it drives me crazy but i got an interesting proposal from a listener austin who asks what do you think about having a second free throw line for three-point shots i guess being like further back from the three-point line or his favorite, he says, you shoot the free throw from the spot of the shooting foul, and the traditional free throw line stays for when teams are in the bonus. So in that in that case, it would potentially eliminate foul hunting, like the James Harden type stuff, and it would help out centers because they would get to shoot it from closer if they got fouled there. Yeah, but what do we do on the hacka? Oh, that is another one that drives me crazy. The, the, the if you made fouls that are you know in the out you know in transition, if you made transition fouls intentional fouls. I would not be against that at all. And it would also, I mean, what do you do on, what what are we doing if I'm hacking DeAndre Jordan in the backcourt on that though, Bobby? I guess you would have to consider that in the bonus, you know? If anything happens in the backcourt, it would have to be like a bonus or a regular free throw style. Yeah, because that's the other thing. You'd have to, you'd almost have to take my idea and and put that into that because otherwise, you know, hell, I'm, I'm hacking everybody 40 feet from the basket if that's where they shoot their free throws. Yeah, well, I guess he's saying though, it's a it's you only shoot it from that spot if it's a shooting foul, you know. Like you don't have to shoot on every foul now. Yeah, I don't want to move the line around. I don't want to move the line around. That'd be something interesting for like a pickup game, you know. You're just playing with your buddies. <laughs> you get hacked, yeah. like trying to trying to draw a foul out on the three point line. And they're like, fine, shoot it from there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe all right. So we'll do those for pickup games. Yeah, New pickup pick rules. Games cool NBA NBA. I'd rather them do what they tried in the G League this year, and that's a a single free throw attempt instead of two or instead of three. Wait, can yeah, you can one, you explain that cool. more, Kev? 
Because I played in a pickup league that did that too. So it was a single free really? throw attempt and it counted for two points. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's just one yeah. equals two. You take one yeah. shot. That's it. If you make it, it counts for two. If you miss it, it's zero. And at the end of the game, it's a one and one. That still counts the same. Like for, for, it, if, if you're if in the were, bonus. If we're, call, if we're a college, you know, one, like NBA one on one, wouldn't it be a case? Wouldn't it be the case? Right. Uh, but but in college, if they were to integrate that, um, I'm not sure. Like maybe you might have to totally change right. the college free throw shooting rules as well. But like with NBA, that's something I'm interested in. But the pushback against that is players are able to get some rest at the free throw line. Yeah. You know, so like how, how much is lost in that regard that you might be saving in time for the viewers? I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know that. But that is something that people in the NBA do look at and think about when it comes to player health. Oh, let me. Hey, let me give you one more because now that we're thinking about it, because uh, this has become a real thing, and that is offensive players initiating contact. That drives me nuts too. Uh, the offensive player, if the offensive player initiates the contact, it should be an offensive foul, not a defensive foul. I hate the foul hunting, and and obviously it works. And so a lot of guys do it, and a lot of guys are very, very good at it. But if you are initiating the contact, they have got to give these defenders some leeway because now you can just jump into a defender and get a foul called by doing it. And I'm, I do not like that at all. That one drives me nuts. Next question, Bobby. All right, Tanya asks, name a player you've met that surprised you the most by their attitude. Either you thought they were going to be Either you thought they were going to be an ass or they were really nice or vice versa. <laughs> this is a one, good one for you, I'm sure, Chris. Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> I mean, where do you start, right? <laughs> there, there, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a million of them. I would tell you that, uh, obviously, it's been a long time now uh, that I've been in these locker rooms and been at arenas, and I would say 95%, I'm not kidding, are are good dudes. Really. Truly. I have been I have been way more shocked on the good side than I've ever been on the bad side. I I I haven't had many uh bad experiences ever, honestly. Like people that are you know it, I, it weirdly it's usually young guys, like you know, swagger-filled like rookies or something that still have the arrogant, you know, uh still have the arrogance going for them um but and and veterans are usually great especially with the media um so i haven't honestly like i haven't really had a ton of bad ones um good i had a great experience with iverson and i think that would yeah i think that would be shocking probably to people you know um iverson is one that stands out that when, I thought When did you meet was, him? When he came to Memphis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, God, look. There, there, this is like... Uh, the, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Outside of the early 2000 Lakers, when they would come to a town, I mean, they, they were like rock stars. Like, it's just a different feel in that arena when when that team came, that Kobe and Shaq team came. The only one, and I would say... The biggest buzz and the most rock star feeling ever was the one time, because they're Eastern Conference team, that Iverson would come. I mean, it was like friggin', you know, I don't know, like the Beatles walked in or something. Pandemonium with Iverson. It was, it was crazy. I've never seen a fan response like with him. But anyway, I waited forever after the, uh, after the game one night, you know, he took a long time to get out of showers and whatever. And then I was sitting there waiting and I didn't know I, I, I had never been around him, you know, but I was one of, there weren't that many people there interviewing him and he could not have been cooler. And I guess that's just not, I, I mean, I was kind of nervous. I recall, I mean, I was very young, but I was, I, I remember being nervous and then being calmed almost immediately because he was super cool. Maybe I caught him on the right night. I don't know. Because I know that people have had you know, not, not great interactions, but he was great. I'll give you another one. Durant. And I have not been around him in years. But during the lockout, which is kind of this same feeling that we're having right now, 
What year was that? 11? Was that 2011? The lockout. Rudy Gay threw like a celebrity basketball game. Like they were just Nike was putting this stuff together. And he did it at this like small arena. But and everybody showed up. Like LeBron showed up. Durant showed up. Everybody. But after that game, you know, players were like kind of going back to the locker room and whatever. And Durant's, you know, he's already a star at that point. I'm not kidding you. This dude walked through and took every picture and signed every autograph. And like, it was like Ali walking through Zaire. It was unbelievable. I was just blown away at how great he was with the fans. And I'd always heard great stuff about him, but I, I'll never forget that. He was awesome. Uh, and give me some of yours, Kev. I'm going to try to think of some bad ones or if anybody's ever gotten mad at me off the top uh, of my head. One, one that, two that come to mind to me. Um, and this, this I did not go in with anything but positive expectations that were only further confirmed. Uh, Steph Curry, when I interviewed him, um, was incredibly nice and thoughtful and insightful. Uh, and Clay Thompson, when I interviewed him for a separate story, um, both those guys are sort of perceived publicly as nice guys or fun guys, um, and, uh, or family guys or party guys like Clay is, <laughs> uh, and both of them are exactly in my experience, exactly as what you think they are. Um, I really enjoyed both the conversations with them. I mean, I remember with Clay, with the story I wrote about him, it sort of started off like you could tell he was tired after a workout. He was sweating, kind of like, you know, catching his breath. Obviously, one of the last things he wants to do is talk to me. But as soon as I pulled out my laptop and we were watching plays together, he just lit up. He just got totally into it, was so insightful with everything he was saying when we were watching video of him running around screens and shooting and all that. He was so into it, and just very nice as well. Um, so those two guys come to mind first when I think about that question. I I can't I can't think of a single person that I've met, or as Tanya said, like someone you thought was going to be an ass. I can't think of anybody who was an ass. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, for the most part, like every single every single exchange I've had with players ever since I started this years ago has been a positive. No one ever yelled at you for trying to blow up their team. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the only time a, someone, nobody yelled at me, but the only time a player ever said something where I was like, what, <laughs> uh, was Rajon Rondo. <laughs> really? Uh, so this was when I was just a Celtics writer and I was in this for a Celtics Lakers game. I was in the Celtics locker room and Rondo said like, you're a Lakers writer, right? <laughs> you're a Lakers writer. You know, you're like, get out of here. And I was like, what? I've covered the Celtics. <laughs> and then, 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 then there's this one other time Rondo just kind of, and this is not the only, I'm not the only person this has happened to. He just sort of like held a stare at me. He just glared at me as we we're walking down the hallway until I looked away. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was establishing himself as the alpha uh, over all media members because I'm not the only one that that's happened to. <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to think if there's anybody that's been actively like mean to me, and I can't no, even think of one. I tell I you this: either. have I told you my Gilbert Arena story? I, this I, look, no, I, I don't know. I don't know if you have. If you have, I forget. But please tell it. <laughs> All right. So when I first started covering the NBA, the first thing I ever did was cover draft workouts. It was honestly looking back the strangest thing ever. The, so you didn't have any there were there were no like um there were no places to do the workouts except for like a college gym because the team is just moving here and like they're having they're having these draft workouts at Rhodes College a college in Memphis and so they sent out this thing and it was like hey if you want to come cover the workouts but the team was so new to town like Nobody was going. And so like on Saturday mornings, I would like get up and I would drive over to this college and they would let me in. And like, I remember Chuck Daly was there and Dick Versace and Billy Knight, and like all these dudes. And, and then they would just like, let me sit and watch these draft workouts. And so at one of them, I watched Jason Richardson and Trenton Hassel. Um, and it was epic. Like they just went, tooth the nail against each other and Richardson was off the charts like athletically 
I couldn't believe what I was watching. He was, he was just done at Michigan State. Turned out they would have actually taken him in that draft, but he got taken fifth, I believe, and they took Shane Battier sixth with the next pick. So anyways, long story short, Jason Richardson, of course I'm there. I interview him afterwards. I'm the only media guy there. And we, you know, we get friendly with each other and, and uh, sitting around talking because I'm you know just out of college. I'm college age at the time. And so anyways, the, war, the Warriors draft him. They come to town later that year. And I go into the locker room before the game because I'm going to say hey to Jason Richardson and, you know, congratulate him on, you know, good rookie season so far, whatever. And I walk up to him and I'm kind of talking to him. And uh, and Gilbert Arenas is is the locker next to him. He's playing for the Warriors, right? And uh, so I'm standing there talking to Richardson and Gilbert Arenas looks up and he's like, Chris? And I was like, hey, hey, Gilbert. He's like, Chris Vernon? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, uh, 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 you know, and I'm like, what in the world? I'm like, how do you know me? And he goes, I'm reading your name tag. <laughs> I was like, come on, bro. <laughs> come on, bro. I mean, I was so embarrassed. Oh I was God. so embarrassed. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. Of course, everybody's laughing. I mean, oh, it was geez. it was funny, man. It was fun. I can't deny it. It's, shit was funny. But I was, you know, imagine me. I'm in my young 20s. I'm already nervous being in these locker rooms anyway. That's what he said. I'm reading your name tag. That's awesome. Thanks, Gilbert. Thanks, thanks, Gilbert. That's amazing. I really thought this dude might, like, I mean, I'm like, how does he know who I am? He did. He didn't know who I was. That's the point. We're ready for the next one, Bobby. All right. uh, Let's do a couple pop culture ones. Lucas asks, what are some of your favorite basketball movies or movies that heavily involve basketball? You know, I'll I'll say this. Air Bud came to mind first, which is sad. (laughs) What the hell? What? You know what? For all you nerds that are going to tweet me, I don't know how you do the show with uh, Vernon. I'm typing on my keyboard. I'm so mad. How do you put up with uh, Vernon? Oh, Vernon's on there. Delete. All you idiots. I want you to rewind it and listen to what this dude just said. And you tell me who has to put up with who. We're friggin' eight. Are we eight? We're eight years old. Uh, Air Bud? What in the... Have you ever uh, seen Air Bud? Bro. How about... I, I'm not even entertaining how, how this. About, how about semi-pro with Will Ferrell? Yeah, all right. Jackie Moon? I mean, look, I, I like all of them. Ho- I like- Hoosiers? Hoosiers? Yes. Okay. I mean, I, all I said was Airbud came to mind first. I'm not <laughs> saying I would choose to watch it first or anything like that. It's just Dra- what all right, drama came w- to mind. Because I'm thinking back to my right. childhood. That's that's the way my memory was working right there. I don't have right. a great movie memory. How about you? I know you're going to say he got game and blue chips and, you know, obviously, you know, all these movies. White men can't jump. No, white men can't jump is the one. That's the one I probably have seen. And laughed, you know, most often at the most. It holds up. It holds up too. I love it. I have a confession. I've never seen it. Oh my god! Wow. Mm-hmm. You seen Teen seen Wolf? It. That's a basketball movie. I, I don't think I've seen Teen Wolf either. No. Oh no! You gotta watch White Men Can't Jump. You have okay. to watch that. Have to. That's okay. essential. It, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll watch it this week, and we'll hit it on Friday show. Then perfect. You I watched do that. Uh, Want to do like I, a white man can't jump? Yes, I do. <laughs> I'll wear my uh, I'll wear my Billy Hose. Billy Hoyle is the is the he's oh, yeah, uh, yeah, they, Woody actually, Harrelson there, in the there movie. There is an actual white man can't jump recapables with Bill Simmons, Rembert Brown, and Chris Ryan recorded. Uh, oh wow, over three years ago, twenty seventeen, Re- they did that. Rewatchables, wow. rewatchables. Yeah. yeah. Well, what did I say? You said recapables. Recapables. Reca- oh. Good grief. <laughs> What a ringer employee. <laughs> Too much ringer content, baby. <laughs> what we really need, what we need is our re-listenables. <laughs> like for, for music. That's what I would be good at. <laughs> to recap bulls. What a dope. <laughs> I watched uh I watched Hoosiers with my son about two months ago. And he loved it. He loved it. I mean, it's great when you're a kid, for sure. Yeah. I, I uh, but I, I haven't uh, seen that in years. 
Oh, yeah. You got to watch White Man Can't Jump. That's that's a perfect one. I mean, I haven't seen He Got Game in years, too. I mean, I don't even really, I, I don't even really remember what happens. My movie memory is horrible. It's, I, have a, I, have a, I have a bad movie memory. That's why I grade everything on Letterbox. I don't know. You I, seem I, to I, you seem to remember Air Bud. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember a thing that happened in it though. It's about a freaking golden retriever that plays <laughs> basketball. Yeah, no kidding. It is. What do you it's need a... to remember? The plot. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Oh boy. Uh, Easter asks, I guess they're from, from London. So they asked, uh, there's no sport on TV and they live in London and support both Liverpool and the Lakers. And they feel absolutely gutted that both their teams are on course to be champions. It's assuming a lot. Uh, and it's all been taken from them. (laughs) Uh, any good suggestions on good basketball books to read while they're locked down at home? Bill Bill Simmons, the book of basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a raise. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, definitely book of basketball. <laughs> De- definitely not basketball and other things by Shea Serrano. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, um, the, breaks, the, the breaks of the game comes to mind. Breaks of the game. I'm going to give you one that... Uh, I have found myself picking up more than other ones in the past, and it is the it's the writing slash teachings of uh of John Wooden. Hmm. I love that. I I love that book, and I do think there are valuable lessons that can improve everyone's life. Um. So Wooden, it's just called Wooden. Um. I love that. Book. I uh. I'm going to give you one that I had to read. So I used to have to read all these books because I would get everybody on for like, uh, you know, in radio, you would get sent the book and then they would offer you the author to come on. Um, Let me tell you a story. Is a, it's, a, it's the Red Auerbach book. It's great. Great. I don't remember who wrote that. I don't remember who wrote, let me tell you, uh, let me tell you a story. But John, that, John Feinstein. John according Feinstein. To Google, not, okay. According to Google, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Obviously, like the yeah, like something like that. Uh, Bill Russell's books good. I always like biographies and like um, and autobiographies and stuff like that. But yeah, and then those like behind the curtain things, like you're talking about with breaks of the game, those kind of books. I love those too. Oh, the 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 McCallum one. Seven uh, seconds or less. Yeah, seven seconds or less. Yeah, yeah, totally worth reading, and especially with the way basketball has changed so much now. And Mike D'Antoni is still a big figure in basketball. I haven't read this book yet, but I know a lot of people love Jackie McMullen's "When the Game Was Ours" about yep. Larry Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. I need like that's one thing. I gotta I get like this during this kind of downtime. I gotta read some more books. I get a whole bunch of books backed up that I'm slowly trying to get through. But this is sort of a downtime to do some catching up. Oh, uh, speaking of Jackie McMullen, she wrote a book with Larry Bird called Bird Watching. And it's it's like his biography, but it covers it covers him into the uh after he had like coached the Pacers. So he oh, talks wow, a lot of yeah. he talks a lot about coaching, which is super fascinating. Like he had this thought in there about how, you know, you, you, 3 to 4 years. That's how long you should be a team's coach. I've always remembered him saying that three or four years um, because you're, you know, the voice gets stale. You've done all the speeches, you've done all the stuff and whatever, but that book's really good. Jackie McMullen, you can find that a paper book, paperback for nothing. Um, And it's, it's really good because he talks a lot about coaching too. So it gives a totally different perspective and it's obvious him and Jackie had a tremendous relationship. I mentioned I mentioned not reading Shay's book as a joke earlier. You should read Shay's book, but did you see Chris Obama tweeted about Shay with the New York Times story? <laughs> it's Unbelievable. Amazing. And, and well deserved too for all the good Shay does on social media helping people directly. Um Shay's an awesome guy. A really awesome guy. Oh, like to get back to that question about somebody you meet and you think about what they might be like. I always imagined Shay to be like this loud, funny, obnoxious person, but he's actually 
super quiet and kind and sweet when you meet him. Oh, and he's, no. he's, he's the first person that I met when I first got hired at the mayor that offered me advice. He, hmm. He's like, Hey man, you know, so like, what do you do? You know, here's what I, here's a piece of advice for you. Now, after I spent some time working at Grantland and, and he mentioned how like file a day or two in advance when you have, if you have a story running on a Wednesday file early Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday at the latest or file Monday, if you can, that way you have more time to work with your editor and getting edits and collaborating and working together. And I'm like, when, when he said that to me, I was like, wait a minute, why wouldn't anybody do that? And he's like, okay, you're, you're ahead. <laughs> Cause you have that mindset. That's guess, crazy. Yeah, That's crazy should, that you yeah. had such a great experience with him. Cause I yeah, met him right and away. he was a colossal prick. <laughs> That's the answer to your other question. Which NBA guy have you met? Who's Shay Serrano? Shay Serrano. You got any other questions, Bobby? Yeah, let's do... Uh, do two more. Yeah, let's do two Pick more. your favorites. All right, Joshua asks, considering the social distancing, what's your favorite home-cooked meal? Last non-basketball one, then we'll do one more basketball one. Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. Favorite home-cooked meal? My mom makes a lot of good meals. Um, I don't know if I can pick just one. I think she made like some really good chicken vegetable soup last week. That was awesome. So good. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I can't pick just one. She makes really good chicken parm, really good turkey burgers. Mm. Um, I don't know, man. Like I, I, I can't just choose one. I, I can't. I think probably... Uh... For me, like so either like steaks or, uh, you know, with the steaks, potato. I like I like meat and potatoes, that kind of stuff. Uh, but enchiladas, that one, for whatever reason, stands out to me. My wife is a tremendous cook. She's great at it. She loves it. Like, it's a passion, right? She can, loves to do it. Can you cook? And so, not really. <laughs> I mean, I can, but, I mean, I can, but obviously I am. It's kind of like... Uh, let me see. Like, like Draymond Green could shoot free throws, but if it's a technical foul free throw situation, we're letting Curry shoot it, right? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, yeah. it's kind of like sense. that. Uh, I'm so I'm Draymond and she's Curry, and so we just let Curry, <laughs> right? Chef Curry, how about that? <laughs> no, but she she loves doing it. You know, she she loves to cook, and so it's not like, and I'm I mean I can make some stuff, but yeah, I think probably like. You know, if we do steaks, um, how, how about you, Bobby? I'm curious, like, what are you what are you eating right now at home? Oh, what I'm eating right now? A lot oh, of the yeah. same stuff over and over again because I'm trying to avoid the <laughs> store, you know. But uh, <laughs> oh yeah, if given one choice, my favorite home cooked meal is gnocchi bolognese. There you go. I actually just ate some gnocchi the other day from Trader Joe's. It was in that like frozen food section. Uh, you know, it's one of those like you just throw it in the. You just you, you, I, there's something I could cook. You, all you have to do is throw throw the thing into a pan and heat it up, and it all like melts together. It was great though. It's great. Did you guys buy any frozen foods? Like that, you know, like that, TV, that, that, TV dinners type of things. Oh, I uh, <laughs> here you go. I I promise you, there is nobody in America. I'll put it myself up against anybody in America. In terms of eating Amy's gluten-free cheddar burritos. Oh, I eat frozen those too. burritos. Yeah, those are good. Hmm. Where I do you bet, get those? Oh, God. I bet I eat 200 in <laughs> a year. Where do you get them? I, I want to try them. Where do you get oh, them? Oh, the, the supermarket. Anywhere. Yeah, well, uh, like any supermarket or yeah, like, a, like a yeah. Whole Foods or Trader Joe's? No, 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 no. Just go to frozen food okay. section. You All can't right. get them well, at Trader Joe's, though, because they're a brand name. But you can get them at any yeah, other right. normal okay. supermarket. Right. Okay, that, that's what I was check- checking in on. Like we, Amy's. We, um, Amy's, yeah, gluten free. Okay. I eat the glu- I like the gluten free one better than I like the regular one. Huh? Really? Yeah. Hmm. I, yeah. I, we we bought uh, quite a few TV dinners, and the ones that I'm really liking are the the healthy choice simply steamers. <laughs> really, really good. I, I mean, I I eat the the, uh, uh, the Frontera Frontera Grill. Uh, it's a place out of um, it's a place out of Chicago. It's actually Skip Bayless's brother. You know Skip Bayless' brother is like a world-acclaimed chef. No, I did not. Yes. Look him up. Rick Bayless is his name. Oh, Rick he's Bayless. Li- 
Oh yeah, Rick Bayless is a like a monster chef. Oh my god! And he and he has the, <laughs> yes, he looks just like him. That's his brother. But they uh, he has a restaurant in Chicago called wow. Frontera. They started making TV dinners, Frontera TV dinners. Oh. They're taco, they're taco bowls. They are mm. a ten. They're great. Mm. Yes. All right, you ready I for one know. last one? I didn't, yep. I didn't yeah, check one. these out. Yeah, there you go. Frontera Grill. They make like uh, what's it called? Frozen. I saw it in the frozen section. I got it. Taco bowls. They have okay, barbacoa. Because yeah, because I'm like on the search for like healthy. Yeah, that's healthy. Dinners. Yeah, you know, because yeah. some, some are like really really bad for you. Oh right, but, for sure. But I, I'm in the search for some healthy, you know, frozen foods. But anyway, yeah. all right, yeah, we're ready. <laughs> last one, party. Bobby. <laughs> all right, this last one comes from Gerard. He says uh, he's a huge fan of the show from Australia. And I just want to say real quick, thanks to everyone sending in their emails from all over the world. I uh, yeah. I made a little running list of all the countries that I saw from, and I'm sure I missed a few, but Australia, Brazil, Kenya, Slovenia, the UK, Italy, China, Spain, Finland, Israel, the Netherlands. It's just, it's crazy, man. Um, wow, holy mackerel. Anyway, Gerard says that uh, their national sport has just started this weekend after a lot of debate playing in empty thousand capacity stadiums. The atmosphere was bizarre, and it definitely wasn't as entertaining without the crowd noise. If the NBA does come back this season without crowds, how much of a turnoff do you think the lack of atmosphere will be? And I guess my follow-up personally would be, how much do you think it will actually change the competition not having a home team advantage quite as much? Oh, I mean, I think it's going to be a, a major turnoff, personally. Um, I mean, I, I on the article I wrote this week on The Ringer about Zion's first game, I was re-watching the clips of that fourth quarter, and if you remember, he hit, he hit four threes in his first game in the fourth quarter, all over the course of like two minutes. Every single time he hit a three, the crowd got louder and louder and louder. And watching that, I'm like, damn, I, I, I can't imagine that moment without the fans cheering as loudly as they were, without the hysteria. And I think to what Ethan Strauss wrote on The Athletic, he interviewed Andrew Bogut who did play without fans in the crowd in Australia. And he said just kind of how weird it was that, you know, at first, you know, you're sort of excited, like for this atmosphere where you can just focus on the game, but then it just felt sort of stale. And I, and I would imagine that that would be the case in the NBA. If games are played without fans. However, I, I do think about it and I'm like, I wonder if there's a way with testing that maybe they could test, you know, some amount of, family or friends and maybe like you can make it almost sort of like an AAU type of atmosphere where it's a lot of close-knit people in a smaller gym and that could create a totally different environment if people are tested in advance I mean that might be asking way too much but like when I when I'm in, play, in fantasy land here if you can get a gym of people who are tight with the players um, it could create a really unique atmosphere that we haven't seen in professional sports before that sort of brings it back to what it was like for a lot of players back in high school. I think it is going to, I mean, there's no way it's not, it's going to feel like we're watching a practice. So it's going to feel like, like that's, you know, like when you watch those, like when they do like team USA stuff and whatever in the gym, I'm still going to enjoy it. I think what they're going to do is it'll just be like tighter shots. Right. So I mean, it's not like you're going to show a huge empty arena behind it. Um, the basketball itself will still be tremendous, which is what I want to watch. And so, but will it hurt not having an atmosphere there? Of course it will. Of course. That's what we love, you know? And I would just tell you like, uh, I, I don't know. Like you, you say you went back and watched that Pelicans game, right? And the Zion thing, and the crowd gets better and better and better. And and especially there's for the playoffs, that would really be a bummer if there was no because the playoffs. I mean, you just get you see these cities in totally different lights once the playoffs come around. Um, and so that would be a bummer. But I would, I, you know, yeah. I mean, it's gonna hurt. But look. If that's the price I got to pay to get to watch basketball, then so be it. Sure. And, and I get back to what Woj reported back in March. He said, in the, quote, for now, there's a working plan. The games would return without fans and teams have been told to search out arena dates well into August for the playoffs. Sources said teams have been directed to give the league office potential dates at smaller nearby game venues, including team practice facilities that could spare the use of empty carbonous arenas and possibly provide backdrops to unique 
television viewing lines, end quote. And that's the part that I'm thinking about, like, what would make the viewing experience interesting for fans to watch and what would make the playing experience really interesting and engaging for players. And that, and that's what, what I get back to with like, if you were able to test, you know, 50 people that are close to the, the, the players and there's friends or family, if you were able to pull that off, which is probably very unrealistic, you could create an AAU style atmosphere, which would be a whole totally different thing in a small, small gym that could be pretty dope for the players and for people watching. And I don't know if it's feasible. It probably isn't, but it's just something on my mind that I'm thinking about to create that quote, unique television viewing line that Woj mentioned. I don't think it'll be, it won't be all that bad. I mean, it'll be like watching a Hawks game. You know, so. (laughs) Why? Why such an unnecessary shot? (laughs) (laughs) You ever watch a Hawks game? Ain't nobody there. I love to watch Trey Young. Yeah. Well, there's nobody there. Just go back and watch some Hawks games. You want to prepare for watching games with no fans. I'm looking, I'm looking to see where they rank in attendance this year. Doesn't 20, matter. Tw- I know, I know, I know, because attendance numbers are misleading. I know, because it's whatever. But 25th. 25th. You know who's 26th in attendance? The Grizzlies. Is that right? <laughs> That's all I wanted to say. I just wanted to load up to take well, that I mean, shot so, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot bigger market. This ticket's sold. Yeah. I know. Typically. I know. Yeah. But yeah. Hey, <laughs> flip on a Grizzly game and then flip on a Hawks game. You tell me who's got more people. There. I know. I know. I just, <laughs> I wanted just to take that shot at you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for our show today. Thank you to Bobby Wagner for producing as always. We will be doing another show on Friday. And uh, Kevin, I will talk to you then. And thank you again for everybody. Thank you again, everybody, for the questions. Really if you dig what it. you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars really helps. So we'll talk to you on Friday.